Hi, this is Laura, producer of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to our Summer Best Of series. Jen and our team here at the podcast got together and thought through some episodes that we had in our archives that we thought were really now super relevant to some of the national conversations that are happening. So today's Best Of episode features author and speaker Oshita Moore. Oshita's been doing some great work since we last talked, and you're going to want to check out her podcast, which is launching a new season soon called Dear White Peacemakers, where she says no topic is off limits. We're happy to represent Jen's conversation with Oshita, originally aired in 2019, titled You Are Holy Good, Embracing Shalom. Hey, everybody. It is... Jen Hatmaker, your host of the For the Love podcast. Welcome to the show today. Uh, Super excited because today we are starting a brand new series, um, which is called For the Love of Faith Groundbreakers. So it is time to get excited. So last year, you guys, we did an incredible series around exploring our faith. Honestly, we had some of the most profound and thought-provoking conversations we've ever had on this podcast to date. Um, And you let us know how meaningful that series was to you. Uh, We continue to hear that you're you're still downloading those episodes. Um, And we heard from a lot of you about how those conversations caused you to think differently or examine what you believe or open the door to some amazing dialogue in your own life, um, which thrills me. So if you're new to this podcast and you haven't listened to those yet, go back um, and spend some time on our first faith series because uh, it was, it was really, really powerful. And I don't say that um, lightly. Um, So our guests in this sort of second iteration um, of For the Love of Faith Groundbreakers are women and men who are taking a fresh or an honest look at their faith experiences. Um, Some of them have um, questioned some long-held beliefs or pushed really hard on what they believe and see if it holds. Um, They've all been on various journeys um, to find Jesus um, in this very, very weird culture that we find ourselves in. And they've all wondered aloud whether the status quo should remain as is. Um, They've looked at love from all sides. What does being a follower of Jesus look like? It's just, I have great respect for these trailblazers. I am deeply grateful that they've accepted my invitation to be on this show and to share their wisdom with the rest of us. So I'm going to jump in and tell you that today's guest is a wonder woman. Um, And she is just... She is powerful in many, many ways. And I'm speaking of none other than my friend, Oshita Moore. So Oshita, first of all, is a mother of three. Um, She is both a wife to a church planner and a pastor herself. We're going to talk about that a little bit. Um, She is a writer. She is a speaker. She is a podcaster. She is a justice advocate. Um, she, for a while was a noonday ambassador, a big piece of her story started in new Orleans when she met the man she would, uh, fall in love with and marry. And since then they've kind of meandered. They went to, um, seminary up in Boston. They grew their family. Um, they were church planters. Um, she sort of incubated and birthed her own really powerful ministry, which we're going to talk about. Um, she's the author of the book called Shalom Sisters the best and the host of a podcast called Shalom in the city. We'll talk about both. Um, These are two avenues that she uses to lead and to teach um, with women all over the world and um, spread her understanding of God's intent for a world that is whole 
and vibrant and flourishing. Um, I am strongly, strongly insisting that you get her book, Shalom Sisters. I'll have it linked over at the podcast transcript page. Here's why. Not only is it transformative, but it is this call to deeper relationships with each other, with our own bodies, with God. It's funny. It's liberating. It's thought provoking. She actually has this 12 point Shalom Sisters manifesto for peacemaking. Um, and we'll list those manifesto points actually over on the web, on jenhammaker.com on the transcript page. So these are the same 12 points that Ashidi uses as her daily reminders to live the life as a peacemaker. And they're really, really provocative. Like for example, step three is we will listen to our jealousy. So um, I'm going to ask her about that one. Um, she's, she's a really important voice in the work of racial equality and then ultimately racial reconciliation. Um, we're going to dive into some of that, some of her work there also. And um, she is just, she's a good friend. She's a good pastor. She's a good author and a good sister. And I'm so grateful to kick this series off with my friend, Oshita Moore. Okay. Good morning to my friend. And I am so very happy that you're here this morning. Thank you for jumping on the show with me. Oh, I'm so excited. This is going to be fun, Jen. I know. I know. You know what? I was thinking about you this morning and remembering the first time that we like met in person, like face to face. Do you remember? Okay. I, this is going to be fun because I, I, I think I know. What uh-huh. you're gonna say, but I'm not sure. Was it the was it like after Eve? Was it that that conference? Is that where we were? Like I wouldn't have no idea which conference. Is that what it was? I think you're right in DC. Yeah, be- uh, yeah because Christy Knuckles was there, and you got up and talked about how y'all kind of went to college together or something. That's right. I went for Christy Knuckles. I had no idea who you were. <laughs> <laughs> I, got, I got there and I was like, oh my gosh! <laughs> oh, that's so funny. Did we, okay, so maybe I'm conflating two memories. Mm-hmm. Was that where we met initially? Where were we when we went and had breakfast? It was there because we happened to both be in the hotel and the hotel had that breakfast baked, like, you know, like complimentary breakfast. And I, I think we were both, ha- like, we just happened to be making bre- making our plates at the same time. And you're like, are you here for the conference? And I'm like, yeah, I know you're here for the conference. And so... Yes. I think that's what happened, right? Yeah, like, come sit down. Like, who are you? What's your story? So we ended up at our continental breakfast together. Mm -hmm. And and you were just, all your energy was, like, so fresh and Mm -hmm. raw Mm -hmm. and new. Kind of, you were moving into some new spaces. And we've been connected ever since. So that's, like, a long time. So I've given our listeners a little bit of taste of who you are kind of what has brought you um, thus far. Um, but I wonder if you could take us all a little bit back to the beginning. So back when you were um, growing up in Texas and what life was like with your family then, I'm assuming that you grew up like in a spiritual religious home because your childhood leads up to you heading off to New Orleans on a mission trip during Mardi Gras, like mm-hmm. props to your mom um, for letting you go to a mission trip at Mardi Gras. I mean, I, did you know that I lived south of New Orleans for like four years? And so, I I girl, that. I know what's up at Mardi Gras. Um, that's the first time I ever had alcohol because we drank screwdrivers. Me and my friend Julie drank screwdrivers 
out of her parents' trunk of her car, which they set up as a as a mobile bar at a parade. <laughs> I remember sneaking out. I snuck out one night to go, and I had the, I was so miserable because early in the night, some guys spilled beer all in my hair, and you just oh, don't no. mess with the black girl's hair to begin oh, with. No. Oh no, I can't believe he lived. <laughs> I know I live here in Minnesota, but beer country. And every time I try to drink beer, I can't get that memory out of my head. So that's it ruined you. It ruined you for life. Yeah, I don't I don't I didn't actually come from a very religious uh, or I guess a very Christian home. I mean, my parents were culturally Christian in that they were like, you know, the big holidays. If at that there's some there's some weirdness in my home life where my parents are really antisocial. And so like I never like I'm a pastor's, I'm a pastor and a pastor's wife. Now we have people in our home all the time. We never have people in my home and especially like people from church in my home. And so for me, being a Christian was kind of almost like my active rebellion because I wasn't real. like my parents weren't really happy with it. They called me, they were like, you know, you're being really self-righteous because you always want to go to church. I started wow. going to church when I was about five or six, because my mom worked, my mom worked in retail. And so she had these kids and the summer was coming and she didn't know what to do with us. And one of her coworkers was like, well, when you have a gap in your childcare, there's this church that does this vacation Bible school. And this was back in the day where vacation Bible school was 8 a.m. to 5 p.m. And they gave all the snacks and all the crackers and they had all the activities. And this church that did it for two weeks. So I don't even, it was like stocked full of sweet mamas who had all the free time, mm-hmm. I guess. Sure. But uh, I was going to this, I was going to this vacation Bible school when I was about five or six. And it was such a stark contrast between kind of the uh, dysfunction and conflict that was in my home and seeing like the love of Christ and like the um, the welcoming and the, the welcoming spirit and the joyfulness of these I was like, I won't be here more often. So because of that, I started going to church just really on my own. The church bus would pick me up every Sunday morning. So that was the tradition that I, and it was Assembly of God Church. So that was the tradition I was raised in. And so then I graduated from high school. And I um, I remember thinking I've been kind of going to church on as for my own choice uh, all these years, but I've, I've kind of... Um, have been a Christian because I, of these leaders that I respect and they are Christians and I really want to please them. And I remember thinking I need to go away to a Christian school, um, kind of prepared to ask a bunch of questions and really figure out if this is what I want. Because I thought, I don't know, I was naive. I thought going away to a Christian college would be a place where I can deconstruct and reconstruct. Well, I would be able to ask questions there. But when I went away to that college, um, I realized, oh, this is not a, this was not a safe place to ask questions. This was just for yeah. me, just a place where I had to kind of um, reinforce everything that I learned and mm. kind of fit in. Anyway, so I left that that school, went to a state school, and this is the this the church that I started going to when I was going to University of North Texas in Denton. That church was affiliated with the AG and the AG was affiliated with the school that was hosting the missions trip. So that's kind of how I was going to this church. I went to a state school where I could ask all these questions, but I was going to this church and they were like, Hey, we're going to do this mission trip. And I honestly, Jen, like if I did it, I, I was thinking back on that trip and I, I don't think I would be a Christian t- to this day if I had not gone on that trip because 
So much of what I believed about Jesus and what I believed about God's mission and what I believed about, like, why am I even calling myself a Christian um, was was very was was taught to me in very uh, in a very comfortable, privileged space where I didn't sure. have, I didn't have to face a lot of hardship. The hardest thing I was wondering was like, I, I've been waiting. This true love has been waiting. Where's my man? Like, that's the hardest. Oh, really? That was my biggest hardship. But then having to take my theology to a context where there's actual suffering, where there's systemic brokenness, mm. and and then being able to kind of prod my theology and see, like, does this hold up here, sure. made me really question who Jesus is and figure out who he, who he is and how I want to relate to him and how I want to communicate his teachings and his, and his goodness and how, yeah, how do I want to be as a follower of Jesus in a world that's clearly broken? Yeah. Hmm. So I'm going to pick that thread up here in just a minute because I want to I want to pull that forward into your adult life. But um, I do want to go. I want to pause here because your true love didn't have to wait forever. Um, let's <laughs> let's let's just pause at the story on the West Bank of New Orleans, which is where mm-hmm. you met and fell in love with your husband. Um, mm-hmm. And so this is interesting because. You are black. He is white. Did you ever expect to marry a white guy? Is that, was that ever a part of your, like, was, did you see that for yourself or was that surprising? Um, was that difficult at all in your circle, in your family? Um, and then how did your like young relationship find a way to like flourish? Yeah. So I remember, so I did know that I was going to marry a white guy simply because my mom told me so. So I was Are you like, serious? For sure. I was I was talking to my mom about something and I said, Oh, I know what it was. I know what it was. We had just watched uh, we had just watched Family Matters. And I was like, ooh, Steve Raquel's so cute, mom. <laughs> and my mom was like, yeah, he is. And I said, I think I'll marry a guy like him someday, you know, because that's all you think about when you're, you know, 12, 13, 14. Sure. And um she goes, no, you're going to marry a white guy someday. And I said, wow. I was like, how do you know this? And she goes, that's all you look at. Go look at your bedroom wall. And I, oh, <laughs> I was like, oh my funny. gosh, my mom is so perceptive. Cause it was like Jordan Knight and Jonathan uh-huh. Knight. And like, yeah. it was all, you know, like all the, I think at that point it was Backstreet Boys. I was like all white guys. And so yeah. I think the tricky thing is, uh, is I'm from a really small Texas town where interracial dating just doesn't happen. Yeah. And so there, I can't, I can't tell you how many times I was told by white guys, like you're pretty for a black girl, mm. or I would totally date you. But my dad says the races don't mix. Like that was wow, like, that was from a guy that we both really liked each other. And it just, mm. we just knew it wouldn't work. And so Gosh. for me, like when my mom said that it was so helpful because she, she was giving me permission yeah. to fall in love with whoever I fell yeah. in love with and that yeah. she would accept him. Um, and so I knew that, uh, I knew that was going to happen for me. What I didn't know is that how tricky things would be mm-hmm. in that relationship as I'm coming into my black identity. So I was yeah. being raised in a predominantly white community, being raised by two parents who worked really hard to, give us a good life who, who face a lot of racism and discrimination mm-hmm. in their schooling and their workplace. So I sure. got the narrative that you have to be twice as better to get half of what they want. Yeah. yeah. I got the narrative, like you can't, 
you you know you can't wear your hair in an afro you can't play mm. loud, loud music like i got all yeah. these messages about like my intrinsic blackness is uh is going to hinder me from succeeding right. and thriving so what was interesting was i married this guy this white guy who loves black culture who was mm. mentored by by men of color mm-hmm. who um, obviously is attracted to black women. Like right. so I married this person who saw so much beauty in my black culture. And so what mm. happened early in our marriage was he was always kind of calling that out in me. Yeah. Gosh. Um, and you're just kind of out there in the middle of the river, like in your own boat, trying to figure out which way to, which way to row. You just got the right guy. Yeah. I mean, you got the right, I'm thinking of your life right now. We're about to get to it for everybody. I'm like, golly, you really married the right person. And um, allowed one another to flourish. So fast forward just a couple of years. So your married life has begun in earnest. And mm-hmm. then of course, Hurricane Katrina hit and you lost everything, mm-hmm. um, which is just, you know, moments like that really, they, they, it's a, te- it tests our faith. It tests our mm-hmm. character. You kind of figure out what you're made of. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you guys, how did you cope? I'm curious how that worked in community when everybody around you is in the same boat. You know, mm-hmm. every everyone is suffering. Everyone has this immense loss and is staring down this long-term rebuilding process. And so um, I wonder if you could talk about that experience a little bit. Yeah. So when we evacuated New Orleans, we were really only thinking, we were thinking we were going to be gone for a couple of days. And I was eight months pregnant with our second Gosh. when we evacuated and we didn't, we evacuated the year before uh-huh. when a tropical storm came through. Like it, it was supposed to be a hurricane came through as a tropical storm. Okay. When I think about all the hurricanes and all the natural disasters, I'm always thinking about the the communities in need, the communities yes. in poverty and how like those people, like how are they figuring out how to just even get out of Dodge? And then yep. I get so frustrated. I'm going to go on a rant here, but I get so frustrated when people are like, why can't they just leave or just why leave. are they still sticking yep. there? Or, you know, why did they go back? And it's like, oh my gosh, they cannot afford to just pick up. Like we literally, mm. we literally borrowed money to evacuate the year before. Fast forward to, to Katrina, the day before Katrina hits, my husband says, do you want to evacuate? And I'm like, we can't afford to evacuate. And he was like, you're pregnant. And if we don't have electricity, you're not going to be comfortable and you're not going to be a nice person. So we need to leave. <laughs> and I was like, okay. So, but so we ended up even not, we did not, we ended up using our rent to evacuate. So we are already kind of um, planning to just go back to our community and help in the rebuilding of, of Holly Grove. That was the name of the neighborhood we lived in. Um, and so I, I was prepared for that. So the idea, like this diaspora, like this idea of like, not like our community being separated and not ever able to come back together, never even crossed my mind. I'm sure. And so when we got to, I remember when we got to Texas and we realized the extent of the damage and that they were saying, we're not even letting residents in for two, possibly three months. And we didn't even have two to three months before our baby was coming. Gosh. Um, I remember thinking, having this moment and thinking, okay, God, like this is going to be a great adventure. And I can either look at this as you are with us on this adventure and I'm going to 
be open to anything that happens at this point or I can shut down and try to like be in control of how this thing works and always be pushing against you. So when I made that decision, it made it so much easier for me to have conversations with my husband that weren't based on anxiety, but kind of like, God loves us. We love each other. We're on each other's team. What is next? And the thing that was next for us was he really felt called to seminary. And he had said to me several years before the storm, I feel called to seminary, but there's two places that I'm like, not going to be called a, ther- a, a heretic if I go. And it's mm. Fuller or it's Gordon-Conwell. Both are yeah. the ones in California, ones in yep. Massachusetts. Wicked expensive either way. And so when he said, uh, I feel called to seminary and I have this money, I have this grant money and mm. our, we have friends who live in Massachusetts who can help us find a place to live. That for me felt like, okay, God was like pushing us along. And sure. And so when we got to Boston, that's really where I tried to build community, but it's really hard to build mm-hmm. community when you just have a baby, you're adjusting to totally. a new climate. Because I had never lived anywhere oh, in the North before. Bless it. <laughs> All my life was like New Orleans. Uh, that's Louisiana, real. Right? <laughs> that's real. Like I want my listeners to know that is serious. Like when you have lived in the South your entire life, you don't even understand that kind of cold. And no. for how long it lasts, why won't it end? Why so that's no joke. That's an adjustment. How, yeah. And then how do you, and then I had all these little, I had, you know, three-year-old and a baby. And oh, so, man. and then I found I was pregnant with our daughter three months later. So it was just, what? So, um, so finding community was, a, it was a, it was long and it was slow and it took a lot of intentionality, but in the year after the storm, I really leaned on a church that was, that somebody suggested we go to that church community just came around us and took care of us. And, and that was a lesson in saying no and letting people in because I, for so much of my life, just wanted to be like this strong, capable, smart woman, but I just couldn't after that. So that's how the church really did take care of me and reflect the love and care of Jesus to me. after that. That makes me feel happy. There are so many paths to finding your family story. Whichever way you choose, tracing your family generations back with a family tree or uncovering your ethnicity with Ancestry DNA, it's easy to get started. So an Ancestry DNA test tells you where your ancestors are from. And Ancestry's billions of records and millions of family trees let you discover their personal stories. Plus, researching your history is fun for the whole family. And the stories you learn about your shared past can bring you closer together. It did for me for sure. When I got my own results back from Ancestry, I learned that most of my ancestors are from the UK, which sparked all these conversations our family wouldn't have had otherwise and made our shared family story that much richer. So you can start exploring your family story today. Head to Ancestry.com slash for the love to get your Ancestry DNA kit and start your free trial. So it's Ancestry.com slash for the love. Okay, back to our show. I'd like to hear you talk a little bit about what, how, how you guys, how your marriage and family moved um, into, into ministry, because then I, I really want to get to your ministry and mm-hmm. how it began to like bloom and blossom and take pretty deep root. Mm-hmm. Well, 
You know, when you meet your husband on a mission trip to New Orleans during Mardi Gras, like <laughs> being in ministry together is, was kind of like a no brainer. It was yeah. that's how we met. And that was the expectation. Even the fact that we were in New Orleans, we intentionally moved into this neighborhood known for its gang violence because my husband used to be in a gang. Hmm. And so that's this like amazing testimony of how God saved him from gang life and all that. And so we understood that community. And so we we did the whole like incarnational living thing. So moving to Boston so that my husband can go to seminary, which I totally real talk when we sat down and we said, who should we put through? Like who should go to school, go back to school? Like we were like the white guy with the degree is going to get the job for the black woman with the degree. Wow. Like we had to like have that conversation. Wow. So when people, so when we moved to Boston and I'm sitting here saying, oh, well, we're here so my husband can go to school. That for me was, um, it was hard because I yeah. love to learn and I want to be in ministry, but I just couldn't yeah. figure out what ministry looked like. I was going through this whole kind of deconstructing of yeah. like the woman's place in the home and women in uh-huh. ministry. Like I was doing all of that and I love my children, but my children are not my primary ministry. Right. And I had, and that was that season where I really had to be okay with saying that. And so I had this moment with my husband right before Lent where I was like, I'm not feeling, I feel like God sold me a bill of goods with this whole Uh, calling me into ministry, giving me a heart for ministry, giving me, giving me a mind for theology. But here I am with these kids and I'm not seeing how it can, how I can flourish in this. And so, so much of it was tied into Jesus teaching from the Sermon on the Mount about being a peacemaker and his new way of us living into this world. But for me, I always thought, that's out there. Like that's when I do urban ministry or that's when I go on a mission yeah. trip or that's when I like am in the uh-huh. workplace and I'm reflecting this. How do I, what does it look like in my everyday life? And so I spent 40 days really trying to making peace with the idea and concept of being a peacemaker. And that's how I kind of came into my own as mm. a minister and a teacher mm-hmm. and a leader. I love it. I love that Genesis that, Um, that clarity came to you, that real sense of purpose, just in the exact moment you would think it wouldn't, you know, you weren't doing full-time ministry. You weren't doing any of the, the ways that we sometimes think that looks the outsides of it didn't look the same. And that I've had that experience so many times where I feel like God's deep purpose for my life become, becomes instantly clear in the weirdest moment. Like, mm-hmm. why? Why am I knowing this right now? Like, how? how is this the moment in which that kind of revelation comes? And I think that's just how God works. And I love it. Love it. So I want to take this idea that you just left us with. Mm-hmm. So shalom, obviously, it's the Hebrew word for peace. And it's kind of your special word. Like, mm-hmm. I, when I hear that word, I associate it with you. Because you've done such a good job of teaching it and modeling it and using it well um, for years now. And so it just has, it has a lot of depth to you. And so, um, Shalom is more than like, it's more than meditative breathing or some sort of uh, hiding in a closet from kids. That's not what any of this means. Um, that's not what peace really means. So I wonder if you can talk about your perception, your understanding of Shalom as an action. Um, and when, when did you start to seriously understand the power of Shalom, you kind of mentioned it just now in that, in the, in Lent. Mm-hmm. Um, and then how did that begin to pay forward into your life from that point 
um, when you chose to be a peacemaker over mm-hmm. a peacekeeper. And it's a big difference. I'd love to hear you talk about some of that. Yeah. Okay. So when I spent those 40 days looking at peace in the Bible and really asking myself, like, what what does it mean when I say that Jesus is my Prince of Peace? Like, it looks super great on reclaimed wood at Christmas time. Mm. But does it fit into my like real yeah. life the rest the rest of the year? Like, <clears throat> is that just something, you know, is that just Christianese flowery language that we throw around about who Jesus is or does that mean something? Um, so when I started looking at that, I and I was reading theologians like Brueggemann and Wolf and Bonhoeffer, like I was reading some of these theologians that were kind of keep circling back to this idea of shalom. I realized that my view of peace was a very surface, like you just said, like a meditative, super zen, um, conflict avoidance. Like I felt like peace was just this kind of um, surface way of being so that you don't, you don't cause conflict or you don't ruffle feathers or, you know, or, or, or you're a certain personality type. And so you're just a naturally peaceful kind of person, or you are really, you've taken a lot of melatonin and it shows. It's like, I felt like there was the way that I was conceptualizing peace was not going, was not going to help me thrive for the long haul. And there was a lot of anxiety around me trying Mm. to live into those pictures of peace. Um, and so as I was studying Shalom, I, I, I was struck by this idea that Brigham says it's a persistent vision of joy and harmony. And, and it's God's persistent vision and of the world as it should be. And so it's this picture of flourishing and goodness and righteousness and justice And I was like, oh my gosh, when we think about the garden and we think about the way God created the world, Shalom was knitted into the very fabric of it. It was, it was good. It was good. And God's dream for us is good. And God's dream for us is wholeness. And so when I say that I am seeking that peace that surpasses understanding, I am saying I am seeking God to enter into a broken place that I don't understand but yeah. he will enter in and bring some sort of flourishing and wholeness because that is who he is, because he Love loves it. us so much. Um, and so I started saying that Shalom, my work of Shalom is always working back to that essential, it is goodness of the garden. And God created the world and he stepped back and he created everything. And he said, it is very good to have me old. Like when he says that, it's like, okay, God has has always had a picture of the world as good. God has always yes. had a picture of our relationships as flourishing and vibrant, um, and res- and and restored, not restored, but like in harmony and whole wholeness. And because of sin and however we want to conceptualize sin, but because of sin, um, that's been broken and. And we are not able, we're not living, we're not able to live into that. We're seeing the effects of it in our world. And so when I say that I'm a peacemaker, I'm saying, okay, God, I've caught that vision of whatever brokenness I'm looking at right now. I see that you want some sort of wholeness here. What is the one thing I can contribute to bring about that vision? I I am aligning my, I'm I'm stepping into your eyesight, Lord, and seeing the potential for, for your love to transform that. By doing that, I have been able to think about my practices of peace um, in small ways that are that are meaningful. I I don't I don't despise them. I don't I don't I feel like when I am being present for my kid, 
and I'm looking them in the eye. That is the practice of honoring the Imago Day. That's part of that. Mm-hmm. It is goodness. When I am, yes. when I'm helping a coworker with a tech issue, I'm entering into their frustration and helping Good. them, you know, helping them figure it out and and feel like they are seen and feel like they can do their work, their work that they yes. want to do. So it's like, oh my gosh, when I'm able to do that and kind of it just opens it opens up all the possibility all the possibilities. And I think that the church. Mm. Um, for me, I always view the church as like a bunch of have to and rules. Like my tradition has really, uh, honed in on like, okay, this is the standard and this is what you have to live up to. And if you're not living up to the standard, then you're not a Christian or you're not holy or you're not in God's Mm. will or whatever. But I don't, I don't think that that's the heart of God. I think we need to, we need to have a bigger vision of the heart and love of God, because that's what Shalom is. It's so big and it's so open and it's so inclusive. I love it. You know, I love it. (laughs) This is right in my wheelhouse. Right. And I am grateful for a more expansive view of God Mm -hmm. and a wider perspective of the way he is moving in this world and how he would just delight to partner with all of us in it. And mm-hmm. it's not these big, huge on the stage moments. Rarely is it that rarely. Yeah. It's like, yeah. it's the coworker at the copier. I believe this so deeply um, that this is on the daily, on the regular, it's everywhere around us. Shalom is possible at all times. Yeah. Um, and it, it's, it's this developing eyes to see. Mm-hmm. And I'm telling you, I, I've said this before and I mean it like, Don't ask for those eyes unless you want them because God will give them to you. He will literally give you vision to see your neighbor differently, to see your children differently, your spouse, your community. I mean, it'll mesh up in the best possible way, but um, it's a very real way of following Jesus on this earth that to me just feels spot on. Like, I just think that's what Jesus's life looked like. It was just in the walking and around like mm-hmm. in the getting of the water and the going to the thing. And there's, there's like the kingdom right there. Right. just ordinary. Um, I want to talk about your book. Okay. Um, Shalom Sisters, which I love the name of it. Of course, mm-hmm. um, both words carry for me, like this very warm and welcoming greeting. Like obviously there is Shalom. I like come in peace. I wish you peace. I mm-hmm. discussed that word. And then sister, like mm-hmm. y- you're my girl. Like you're, you're invited, you're accepted, you're in my circle. It's just, um, it's so inclusive and I love it. So in your book, you spend quite a bit of time empowering women, um, to be a part of creating the exact world you were just talking about that is Mm -hmm. flourishing and unified wherever they live, wherever they are, whatever their life stages. Um, so it, it, it weaves together family and it weaves together community and faith. It's all together. Um, and so my question is, for people listening um, who may wonder this, is there a particular talent or personality or level of spirituality that qualifies somebody to be a peacemaker? Like, is there room at the table for the Shalom bros, for example? <laughs> yeah. um, what about people who aren't peaceful? They're like hair on fire types like me. Mm-hmm. Um, so in other words, can the principles of your book apply to everybody, regardless of their political affiliation or their re- religious domination or even just their temperament. Yeah. Gosh, I really, <clears throat> I really struggled with this. Um, 
And I think that's part of that is exactly part of the reason why I spent those 40 days because I feel like I am just a hair on fire, like you say, kind of person. Mm -hmm. Like I am always questioning. I get really mad. Um when I see injustices in the world and I and I want to know that that anger is welcomed um Good. in 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 the work of of creating peace. Like can I can I be a peacemaker um and still be angry, you know? And, and mm. is my anger helpful at all in the work of creating of making peace or mm. do I have to kind of get really gentle and quiet first and then I can calm myself up? Right. right. Right, right, right. Which is bonkers. Um because we see Jesus actually getting upset when people in the margins are exploited and we see him flipping tables to overturn systems that hurt the hurt those in poverty that keep people from having a a picture of god as loving and welcoming we see jesus actually getting upset about that and i and i say in my book that you know peace is fierce and it has to be because violence and discord and injustice won't go down without a fight so we need Mm -hmm. the fighters to enter into the work of peacemaking so I would say for me, when I am thinking about my practice as a peacemaker, because the teachings and the example of Jesus means so much to me, that's mm. who I look to as my example for peacemaking. Um, but I I love conversations with people from other traditions, from other religions that are like, oh, well, this is what peace building or peacemaking or shalom, um, that concept of shalom, that's what it looks like in my context. I that's love good. that because that means the spirit is at work. Oh, God good. is doing something. And God is, and, and if we're going to talk about being unified, we need to be willing to be unified with people that we maybe don't agree with. It's good. On you know some of the particulars or some of the you know some of the non-essentials maybe, but sure. we are we are in agreement that the essential is that we want to live in a world that is whole and flourishing and vibrant and unified, and at at its best. So I you know I think that for me being a peacemaker has really given me when I think about shalom. At the very core of it is knowing that God is love and knowing that God loves people to pieces. Like yes. you're made in his image. And so every single yeah. person, every single person I interact with, whether we are we agree on politics or we agree on, you know, theology or whatever, every single person got freaking delighted when they woke up this morning. And so how do I live that into my relationship with them? I am a sucker for anything that saves me time and makes my life easier. And let me tell you, Green Chef checks both of those boxes. Green Chef is a USDA certified organic company that makes eating well easy and affordable with meal plans that fit every kind of lifestyle. I mean, every kind, paleo, plant-powered, keto, balanced. And you can switch up your meal plan whenever you're ready to try a new way to eat. So easy, easy. Plus, recipes include pre-made measured sauces and dressings and spices so you get more flavor in less time. And FYI, Green Chef is now owned by HelloFresh, which I've also used and loved. I love these services. Listen, the Hatmaker family goes bananas whenever we have a Green Chef meal. I'm not kidding. You have to try their Thai veggie stir fry with shiitake mushrooms and bell peppers and peanuts. That's entirely my flavor profile, and it's so delicious, and I'm telling you, a snap to make. So do yourself a favor and sign up for Green Chef today. You can use the code FORTHELOVE80 to get $80 off your first month. Yay! Plus, free shipping on your first box. So go to greenchef.com slash FORTHELOVE80 to redeem and also to get more details. So one more time, that's greenchef.com slash 
for the love 80 to get $80 off your first box and free shipping. Okay, guys, back to our show. I want to talk about a little bit about your 12 point um, Shalom Sisters Manifesto um, mm-hmm. for peacemaking women. I, in the intro, I actually teased um, our listeners with number three, which was we will listen to our jealousy. Woo, mm-hmm. intriguing. I wonder <laughs> if, um, could you walk us through that step and also step 11, which is one that I think my audience needs to hear every day, including myself, which is our bodies are wholly good. Um, Mm. And just kind of to give us an understanding a little bit of how these principles contribute to finding wholeness and flourishing and unity. Like these are not separate. These do not belong in different categories. This is, this is a part of peacemaking. Can you talk maybe about a couple of those? Sure. So the jealousy one really came out of me sort of wrestling with, I, I, I am, I have these emotions. My emotions in and of themselves are not sinful or wrong. Like I, I have heard teachings where it says, well, if you feel this emotion, then you're in sin. And I don't think, I, I, I don't think that that, I don't, I think God laughs at us when we kind of say, oh, I feel this way and I shouldn't feel this way. I think God says, I give you the ability to feel that emotion for a reason, like examine it, but examine mm-hmm. it in my presence. And so sometimes when I talk about prayer, and so when I talk about, I will listen to my jealousy. I recognize that I, I love, I, I, I love when my friends do something great. I love following people that are doing amazing things because I'm inspired by them. But sometimes that inspiration kind of comes with a bit of jealousy or comes with a bit of like, oh man, like, why can't I do that? And, and I, for the longest, like, I'm not being, I'm not being an empowered woman because I'm not empowering women because I have this like little bit of jealousy going on here. So I started um, this practice of, okay, what does it look like to think about my jealousy um, and listen to it in the presence of God? But this picture of, I want goodness and flourishing and wholeness and, and blessing for this woman, but I also know that God has called me to do something and maybe she's inspired something in me. So that listening to my jealousy it's really saying, okay, God, this person is doing this thing and I want to celebrate her, but I also feel like maybe there's something there for me too. What is that? Um, and and kind of letting and kind of just allowing myself to daydream within the expansive omni-resourcefulness of God. When I'm able to do that, I'm able to see that the kingdom is so much bigger than I am. The work that God, the mission of God is so much bigger. There's room for all of us. My contribution matters as much as hers. It really kind of tempers that scarcity. I mean, Jesus said that he's come, that we have life and have life abundantly, right? And so scarcity is never part of God's vision for Shalom. And so listening to my jealousy is my my resistance against scarcity. I love it. Um, And then my body is wholly good. Like I mentioned earlier, just really coming into my, my identity as a Black woman and loving it and owning it um, was such a journey for me. Um, and it was an and it was an intentional. I feel like it was an important and intentional part of my spiritual formation because we, because Jesus took on a body. Like bodies matter. Jesus took on a specific social location. Like he was a Jewish, he was a Palestinian man. Like so that matters, right? So. If Jesus took on a specific social location, he had a body that was vulnerable. Mm. My body, my my social location, um, 
is is a gift from God and I need to start looking at it. It's it's wholly good. And even the size of my body, like I've always been, so I'm I'm in I'm the oldest of uh four kids. There's mm-hmm. three daughters. Yes. My younger sisters are really thin. Like I'm talking like mm. size zero, size two, okay. size four. Bitties. And bitties. And they're really mm-hmm. short. They're like okay. you know, four nine. I'm oh my five, gosh. I'm five three and I'm like yeah. a size 16, 18. Okay. Yeah. And I've always been the, the and, and they're really fair because my mom is a very fair woman mm. mm-hmm. and my dad is a darker skin. So they're fair yeah. and I'm the darkest. And so okay. for me, Coming to terms with this is the color of my skin. This yes. these are the shapes of my hips. This is the body that I live in that good. I get to practice shalom in, and this body is wholly good. So um, it's also helpful in the racial reconciliation conversation because yes. I think right now when we are talking about race, there's this fear that our white brothers and sisters are like, is there something wrong with me for being white? Mm. I'm like, mm. no, your body is wholly good. God didn't make a mistake in giving you your social location. Mm, so how can we good. practice shalom together? Oh, that's great, Oshita. I love how that, it just has a lot of legs. Yeah. I mean, it may start kind of very centralized to your own like personal space, but gosh, that really does have the capacity to grow tentacles out into your world, into your relationships mm-hmm. and to the way that you are perceiving your neighbors and brothers and sisters. I I, I really, really super love how you talk about that. So I wonder if we could talk for another minute because I mean, you're kind of mentioning coming into your identity as um, as a Black woman, um, mm-hmm. as a leader of color, um, as an author of color. So um, I read I read your your personal hesitations about becoming a Noonday ambassador. Big mm-hmm. Noonday fan here. We've had Jessica on the show, and uh, so Noonday. For those of you who don't know, it's a beautiful company that employs artisans all around the world. They make gorgeous jewelry, bags, accessories. And then there's sort of, um, we have a whole group of ambassadors here in the United States that sell them. Is that fair? Is that, is that a good enough description? Yeah, okay. that's great. So I read that you were hesitant about becoming a Noonday ambassador because, mm-hmm. correctly, you were right about this. You didn't see hardly any other um, people of color, women of color, reflected anywhere in the organization. Right. Um, and so they welcomed you obviously with open arms, but I'm Mm -hmm. I'm curious how you approach taking part as a black woman in communities or organizations where sometimes you feel like one of the only ones where it's like a largely white community or culture. I I would love to, I'd love your perspective on this. This is my posture in any kind of context because I'm on the board of a nonprofit right now that that specifically brought me on because they recognize a lack of diversity exactly. in their leadership. And yet they're serving people of color all the yes. time. I'm using Noonday, but I'm just saying overall, because yes. I, I love, love Noonday. Yeah, um, you know, I do too. I wouldn't say like every black woman or every black person has to make these decisions. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, when I came into Noonday, I, I decided I wanted to know people's stories and know why they became ambassadors. Like I wanted to, I kind of, I had a narrative in my mind of like what the typical like white Southern woman who became an ambassador would be. Like I had that narrative yeah, sure. Um, or even like the leaders leadership of New Day. And so I, I went in like really wanting to like look for stories and learn people's stories and learn from their experiences so mm-hmm. I can 
know their heart. Because for me, the very first thing in being a peacemaker when I'm interacting with people is to always get to that humanizing place, like totally. remembering that that's a person there. Yep. Because, because you know, when I do enter into a system where there's a lack of diversity, there is a systemic thing that I'm going to eventually talk about. But I have to remember that there are people connected to the system, right? Good. So that was the first thing that I did. Um, the other thing that I did was I looked for other ambassadors of color and get to know them and learn, like, why they're ambassadors, but then also say, like, keep at it. Like, the, mm-hmm. like we, I see you, like, mm-hmm. forming an affinity circle. My my husband is always on this, especially right now for me. He's like, you need more Black women in your life because it's mm-hmm. good to have women of color that you can just say, okay, so yeah. <laughs> that yeah. thing on the Instagram feed was a little problematic. Yes, totally. You know the heart behind it, but... Like, we just need a safe space to say, oh, okay. Because it's a The New Day community has been nothing but warm and welcoming, and I love it so much. I brought them up because it's been interesting just to see sort of your um, thumbprint on the org mm-hmm. and and other women. And just to sort of, of course, I'm really good friends with Jessica. So um, I'm listening to the heart in there just staring, staring in, staring into it. And I'm like, yes, it's such a good example of... Um, it is possible. It is possible to kind of stay the course inside where well, really any organization or any church, you know, again, another place where it's very racially segregated still. Um, and when you have, when, when it's a season and you have the energy <laughs> or it's a season and you have the microphone, cause you're a pastor, um, you know, it is very, very possible, um, to build bridges here, like Tasha says. So I'm going to ask you this question as we kind of begin to land the plane. And it's kind of broad. I'm curious, how, how would you say that your faith has evolved? Like, where, where have you pressed on old ideas? Or where has something begun to rub? And you're like, I need to examine this in the presence of God, as you said. Um, or where could you say, I used to hold this really tightly and, and now not so much or opposite. I used to have, I didn't used to cling to this at all. And now it's my everything. I think that my view of who is in and who is out has been completely obliterated. Hmm. There is no us and them. There's no in and out. Um, the love of God has just really thrown open the gates and and allowed some really beautiful people into my life who have loved me well and who have reflected the the heart of God to me in powerful ways that I would have never been able to see if I had said, oh, you're you're a sinner or you're not in or I don't agree with you. And so I'm mm. not going to listen to you. Um, good. And so I think that my view of people like I just love, I love people so much more that my faith is taught. My faith has feet and it's fleshy and it's real because it's attached to this love for actual human beings that I don't think I had when I had the perfect systematic theology. Mm, it's and so I, great. I think there is a real reason that when pressed on like, just boil it down for us, Jesus, he's like, yeah. love God and love people. I mean, yeah. That that's real and it matters. And it, it's not just that it matters, it it has it bears fruit. That yeah. to me, that's where I have found so much human and spiritual flourishing mm-hmm. um, in the love of neighbor and friend and person and people. I, I just don't know how to 
I don't know how to express my faith really in any other way. Oh my gosh, for sure. I just, it's like, and and for me, knowing people and taking the space to fall in love with them, I'm like, oh my gosh, God, if I'm so in love with them, I can't even imagine <laughs> how much you love them. That's and great. then that changes my whole picture of God. So yeah, love God, mm-hmm. know that God is love, love yes. others, reflect that love to them. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of it. Right. Uh, like if we, if we die when we're 95 and that's what we did, that's how simple our faith was both in, in knowledge and practice. I think that's enough. I think that'll do it. Right. But it gets us in so much trouble because we're loving messy people. Like we're loving people that others are like, Oh, you really? And it gets us into a lot of trouble, but I'm like, Jesus got in trouble. He was crucified for being a troublemaker for the kingdom. So he loved all the wrong people. Man, True. he loved every single bad category. Right. There just wasn't anybody outside of a circle. And it's helpful to remember that religious people didn't like it then either. Right. Like, this is not new. Right. It is not new at all. And so sometimes when I'm taking stock, because sometimes that disapproval, I'm going to be honest, it's pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it it it's, it feels a little powerful and it, it has the potential to have an outsized effect on the way that we live and love and how and 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 what that looks like in practice um that's always a real stabilizer for me is to just Jesus always just brings it down to the ground for me every single time when when it all gets like weird and I I can't find the anchor and I'm like there's too many opinions flying around I can always kind of go back to him and go you know what he really did a good job of loving really wonky people and mm-hmm. nobody liked it like yeah. everybody just told him how wrong that was and how he was breaking his own rules. And yeah. so that is a useful, like, to me, North Star. One of my greatest joys is getting up before everyone else and having just a few quiet moments with my coffee. That is like sacred space to me. Uh, you coffee lovers probably understand. So I'm thrilled to tell you about a brand new sponsor who's making all of our coffee drinking dreams come true. And it's called Kameno Island Coffee. All right, look, Kameno Island Coffee is amazing and you will taste the difference. They use, first of all, USDA organic beans. And when you place an order, they'll roast and ship your coffee within 48 hours. That is really hard to come by. Plus, Kameno Island Coffee pays farmers above the fair trade rate for their beans, and they commit to giving 2% of all revenue back to the farmers. So good. And get this. They have a coffee lovers membership that's super flexible because you get to choose how often you receive new shipments. Plus you can pause or cancel orders whenever you want. It's like a complete win. So sign up for your coffee lovers membership today. Here's what you do. Go to kamenoislandcoffee.com slash for the love, and you'll get $20 off your first shipment never run out of fabulous coffee again. So sign up for your coffee lovers membership at Kameno Island Coffee. Let me spell that real quick. It's C-A-M-A-N-O. KamenoIslandCoffee.com slash for the love for $20 off your first shipment today. Okay, back to the show. Um, We're asking everybody in this Faith Groundbreakers series these three questions. And so just top of your head, just whatever comes to mind. Okay. Uh, If you could have dinner, if you could sit across the table from any 
faith hero that you love? Who who would you pick? Uh, hands down, Stephen Colbert. <gasps> oh my gosh, that is the <laughs> best answer. I, I love it. I respect him so much. I feel like I'm a little bit on the Canterbury Trail, like a even post-evangelical heading towards looking towards the Catholic Church, learning from the Catholic Church. Yes. And his his love for the Catholic Church, his devotion, the way is inspiring. Mm. I want to learn from him. Um, he's somebody that was raised in a faith tradition, right. but kind of stepped away, but then came back on it because he said the words of Jesus became alive to him. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that's encouraging to me because I'm raising kids. And my goal is like, are they loving people? Not have they said the sinner's prayer? And that yeah. it's hard to, even though I've deconstructed and reconstructed, like even though I've done that work, it's still yeah. hard to like get that sinner's prayer. Of course. You know, out, oh, you know, I know. Standard out of my mind. So just yep. being able to like hear from somebody that kind of has been full circle. He loves his wife. He loves his family. He's yeah. humble. He's funny. That is such a great answer. I love that. Did you read, have you read his books? Oh, he's so funny. He is so funny. His, yeah. his sense of humor is so unique. It's only his and I adore it. Okay. How about this? And, and this is kind of a big pool. So you can pick what you want. Mm-hmm. If you reached in and either grabbed, I don't know, a verse or a quote, or maybe like a, a mantra or an idea um, from somebody else or from a space, it really, whatever you want. But if you mm-hmm. kind of wanted to pull one thing out and say, this sort of captures my, the essence of my faith, what, what would you grab? Um, when Jesus, so Jesus has this refrain, you have heard it said, but I say to you, hmm. he has this refrain that really stops me in my track every time because um, it's, it is like the, it is for me, the mantra of, deconstructing reconstructing so you have heard it said this way or you have heard Mm. you've heard it said these people are you have lived your life by this standard but then i come to you and i tell you this and the thing that he always says is always always so much more like you like we use the word expansive it's always it always gets to the 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 heart of the principle the core value Mm. the the picture of shalom like this is what it looks like actually and this is what i tell you and some and it's always harder it always it's always more complex and requires more creativity but i think in that promise too but i said to you it's this promise that he is with us that his spirit mm. is with us as we're doing the work of refiguring out whatever it is we believe about something so i just when i when i come up against something and i'm still working through it and i'm like i just i can't shake this thing that i learned from my past how do i rethink it i i always picture jesus saying okay you have heard it said this, 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 but I'm going to tell you something new. Mm. And I'm always asking, what's that new thing, Lord? What's so that good. Oh, that's so good. I want to write that on an index card and stick it on my wall. That is just a really, really great holder. Mm-hmm. Um, fabulous. I love it. Love it. Okay. Finally, our last question. We actually ask every guest, every series, this question. It's Barbara Brown Taylor. Have you read some of her work? I love, I've read everything. I love okay, same. <laughs> <laughs> I, same. I can't wait for her new book to come out. <sighs> She's just um, special. She's she is a, a sage of our time for sure. So you know the question she loves to ask, and your answer can be whatever. It can be serious or not. It can be prayer or it can be puppies. So you pick. Um, what is saving your life right now? Um. So my mom passed earlier this month. Yes, I passed know. on the second. Um. 
And it's, it's been really hard. It's been really sad. <clears throat> and I've been wrestling through just all the feelings and I know it's going to be a long, it's going to take a long time. Um, but I, and one of my manifesto points that's actually really something that I am coming back to is we will choose subversive joy. Mm. And so Willie, theologian Willie James Jennings has this beautiful um, reminder. This, he paints this beautiful picture of how joy is our weapon against despair. And despair, yeah. meaning the brokenness and the heartbreak of the world. And even, you know, I feel like on some level, a lot of us are feeling despair over sure. some. It doesn't just have to be a loss of a parent. But so, you know, that cute, that cute gif or that cute video of that little girl holding a corn dog, dancing to Beyonce with a yeah. wind. That is saving my life. Or, oh. <laughs> um, you know, Shit's Creek. It. Oh, my gosh. Oh, girl. That's it. I have a t-shirt. I literally have a t-shirt. Oh, I yes. love it. So I've seen the whole so, thing through like three times. So finding finding joy, choosing to laugh um, in my moments of when I just want to give in to the weight of despair has been really saving my life. Oh, that's so great. That is one of my favorite answers I've ever got to that question. Um, and I'm just so sorry about your mom. Oh. Hey. You know, yeah. we're too we're too young to lose our moms. You wrote just some beautiful things about her um online and it was just a lovely tribute and she raised a good girl. And Thank so um I'm just proud of you and I'm proud to be your friend and your co-partner in ministry. Um I'm I love watching you flourish and lead well and I'm just on your side. It's just kind of a joy to watch you lead out of that wholeness, um, watching you lead out of this real sense of um, just nourishment and like spiritual wholeness is inspiring. And so mm. keep going. Thank keep you. Go, keep raising I'll those try. babies. Keep pastoring those people. Keep writing those books. Like we are listening and we are learning. Can you just tell everybody real quickly as we go? Mm-hmm. Um, where they can find you and what you are working on. Sure. I am um, loving Instagram these days. So yeah. you can find me on Instagram, Oshita M. Um, and then my website uh, uh, is at Oshita.com. And then um, I'm working on a podcast series that's going to, it's going to have already released, I think, by the time your uh-huh. listeners hear this, called Dear White Peacemakers, where we're, nice. Looking at what is white allyship from a place of choosing to be uh, seek shalom together. So centering the voices of people of color and the questions that they have or the things that they would want our white allies to know um, while while we're doing this work together. So is it too uh, soon to tell who your guests are in that? It's a little, well, I have a st- I have an ongoing guest, Kara Meredith is uh-huh. my, she used to be um, one of my co-hosts. We did a book club together. So she's yep. coming back because she just wrote a book on her journey towards being a white ally. So okay. she's going to be kind of my conversation partner. Um, my husband might be coming on to talk about yeah. what, what does white allyship look like in marriage. Mm, but really, the, we just wanted to have a conversation that kind of addresses some of the things. I love that the, the church is doing this hard work on racial reconciliation, but we got to be careful that we don't always center white voices in 100%. this new work. So what can 
our, what can we learn from our brothers and sisters as they're watching our white brothers and sisters just become woke, which I really hate mm. that word, but it's, <laughs> it's shorthand. We all yeah, know it's shorthand. It. <laughs> we get it. Um, yeah. I will absolutely link that everybody. Um, so you can pop over and listen to that. I'm really glad that you're putting that out into the world. I can't wait to hear that myself. Um, thank you for coming on the show today. Thank you for being who you are. Um, and I'm just, I'm, I'm just cheering for you forever sister i I am so grateful to have your your leadership and your cheering on and yeah thanks for having me it's been fun you're welcome i love that girl she is a gem so many little things she said in that interview um just like lit a little flame in my brain um i am going to be thinking about so much of that so Hey, by the way, if you ever want to just glance with your eyeballs back through an interview to pick up some some nuggets, over at jenhatmaker.com on the transcript page, Amanda builds out the whole a whole entire set of resources for you, including the written transcript of every single interview. So sometimes it's just nice to go back and cut and paste some words, put it into a doc, put it into a text. Um, put it into a Facebook post. Um, so uh, I frequently do that. I'm like, what was that awesome thing one of my guests said? I will go to my own transcript page and find it. Um, so anyway, use that. In, in addition to the transcript, Amanda gives you pictures, links to everything, everything to Oshita's social media spaces and her book and her podcast. Uh, we'll have it all over there for you, just in one handy dandy place. So be sure to use that resource. Um, guys, this series is lit lit. I just, I want to like jump ahead. I don't usually make a practice of telling you who's coming. And so I'm not going to do it now, but we have some amazing guests in this, in this whole series. Um, we've expanded it just a little bit because there's just too many amazing leaders right now. I can't, I, I'm like, these are all the people I want to ask. And if they all say yes, then we're having them all on. Thus, we have a longer series. (laughs) Come back next week. We, we have leaders from every stripe. Every single, every kind of space, every background. Um, so this is not a one note series. I think you're going to be really um, excited to hear from all these different kinds of faith leaders and what they have to teach us. So thank you for being a great listener. Thank you for um, subscribing. If you haven't already subscribed to this podcast, go do it. It will automatically show up in your phone every single week, the minute it is uploaded. And so that just makes it easier for you. Um, anyway, listeners, we love you and we're happy to bring you this series and all the series. And so on behalf of Amanda and Laura, my producer and her entire team, um, thank you for being great listeners of this show. We love serving you. Hey guys, see you next week. Mm -hmm.